Well, we're back in Exodus. If you want to turn back to Exodus, we're actually looking at a wider section of um, the of Exodus from chapter 8, verse 20 to um, the end of chapter 10. Um, that's plagued uh, 5 to 9 um, in between God and Pharaoh. As God is working to free his people, um, as God is putting in loads of effort because he loves the Israelites and wants to free them um, and take them to the promised land. And the passage we read, um, which was uh, the plague of hailstones, um, just kind of sums up a lot of what's going in um, the rest of those chapters. A lot of the elements that happen each time um, the plagues come through um, is really summed up in that one. So we'll, we'll maybe focus a bit more on that, but we'll certainly um, swim past the other ones as well. But who likes a bit of gossip? You know, we all do, don't we? It'll catch up on people's lives, someone else's obviously. Find out all the details, just the juicy bits. Nobody wants boring facts, that is not gossip. Discuss what they did and why you wouldn't have done it that way. Gossip feels great until it's about you. And gossip's horrible. So I thought today we'd just have a, a bit of a gossip, to be honest, about Pharaoh. We just, I'll tell you some of the juicy details about his life. We'll pick it apart. We'll look at the mistakes he made. Why not? And what we wouldn't do. But here's the warning. It might get a bit too close to what I'm like at times. And a bit too close to what you're like. You see, Pharaoh gets a bit of a bad rap doesn't he? He's definitely not the hero in this story. He's far more like the villain. But I think he's not that different to us. I think I could be a bit like Pharaoh, given the right circumstances. See, I have a naturally big head. Actually, it's called the woodier head in my family. Um, I fit through t-shirts and jumpers okay. Um, But come to Christmas time, Party hats just don't fit our family. We'll look around the, the Christmas family table and we all have a split up the middle of the party hat as we try and squeeze it on. But I also have a tendency to have a big ego as well. Don't give me too many compliments. Please don't. Because it will just go to my head. Although at the same time, I love a compliment. It makes me feel great. It makes me feel like I can take on the world. Like I'm invincible, like I'm indestructible, like I'm incredible. And so imagine being Pharaoh. Imagine being born as the next Pharaoh. The most powerful leader of the greatest nation in the known world. Nations fall at your armies. People surrender just at the sound of your attack coming. You have kings coming into your palace and bowing down, actually falling face down on the ground, pleading for mercy. Imagine servants flocking around you, and doing all the things you don't want to do. For me, that would be brushing my teeth. I hate brushing my teeth. It's one of those like necessary evils of the day. I'd get somebody to brush my teeth if I had servants. Picking my clothes. I can never decide what jumper to wear. I'd get a servant to do that. Taking the bins out, definitely. And cutting my fingernails, that's just like an infinite task. You have to do week in, week out. Imagine having servants doing anything you wanted. 
Imagine statues being made in your honour. Even now, preparing a pyramid for when you die. One that is bigger and greater than the previous pharaoh. Imagine being told you are a god, the divine leader of the, of the Egyptians. If that was me, my ego would be colossal. I think arrogant would be a better word for me. No one can tell me what to do. That phrase could equally come out of our mouths as well as Pharaoh's, couldn't it? No one ever tells Pharaoh what to do. Until now. The Lord God, via Moses, tells Pharaoh what to do. He says, let my people go. And so we have this. These plagues. The battle of the gods. It's a brutal battle. There's ten plagues in all. And we're on five to nine. That ends up devastating the land of Egypt. And it's just like us to pick out three points of uh, Pharaoh's life, to be honest. Three bits maybe to, to notice uh, and maybe try not to be like. But the first one is that Pharaoh is not an atheist. Pharaoh actually acknowledges the Lord God. He acknowledges his existence. He acknowledges his power and control over these plagues. And how could he not? It's undeniable, the power of God. Magicians, his magicians, can't replicate these plagues anymore. Actually, they suffer by them too. His own magicians describe these plagues as the finger of God. And actually, that's God's purpose in these plagues. Not just to cause destruction, but actually so people would know who he is. Know that there is no one like the Lord God. It says that to us in verse 14 and 15. Is that right? Of chapter 9. And this time, I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and wiped and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God's purpose is not wiping out the Egyptians, but this sequence of plagues is so that Pharaoh might know there is no one like the Lord in all the earth. Pharaoh's power doesn't even compare to this. Ouch, that must have hurt. He's never met anybody with the same amount of power as him. And this God has far more than he does. And also these plagues are happening so that God's name will be proclaimed in all the earth. A desire of probably nearly every king, certainly Pharaoh, that all over the earth his name would be known and glorified. But actually we see Pharaoh acknowledging God. Not initially his existence. He says, okay, go, sacrifice to your God. Later he says, actually, pray to the Lord for me. In the middle of a plague, he asks Pharaoh, pray to the Lord for me. I understand that this God has done this, and also this God has the power to take this away. Later he actually checks out and confirms the plagues 
He goes and discovers them. He goes and checks and actually couldn't deny that God protected the Israelites from them. I think that's really cool the way God does that actually. That God distinguishes between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Just through the plagues we're looking at today, there's not just flies everywhere in the plague of flies. There's flies everywhere apart from the land of Goshen where the Israelites live. There's not a plague on all the livestock. It's a plague on the Egyptian livestock. And the Israelite livestock is unharmed. It's not just hail and lightning everywhere. It's hail and lightning everywhere but Goshen, where the Israelites lived. It's not just darkness everywhere. It's not just a solar eclipse. It's three days of darkness for everywhere but light in the land of Goshen where the Israelites lived. God's incredible power, this differentiating between the Egyptian people and God's people, the Israelites. Pharaoh couldn't deny that and didn't try to. He realized God was there and acknowledged his power. Reading through this, it really struck me actually how all the Egyptians paid the price for Pharaoh's decisions. It was Pharaoh who hardened his heart. Pharaoh said, I will not let the people go. And yet these plagues happen to everyone who's an Egyptian. Every household. They paid the price for Pharaoh's stubbornness. Pharaoh was the the representative of Egypt. And his decisions impacted everyone. But it happens the other way too. God protected his people. His nation. And so in the midst of these plagues... He protected them from hailstones, from darkness, from flies. And it just seems that nations and actually families are really important to God. As you look through the Old Testament, you see that God's people, his nation, are protected. He works for them all the time. He's got promises that he's made to them, bringing them to the promised land. He cares about his nation, the Israelites. And he cares about families too. Blessings in the New Testament come down through family lines. Down through the descendants, through the generations. It's the same in a negative way actually. As we've seen, all Egyptians under Pharaoh are counted as one. They're in the wrong nation. Same in family lines. You're cursed down through your family lines in the Old Testament. Down through the generations. In this, it's all about being an Israelite. It's all about your family line. And then you come to the New Testament, and it changes. But it's still about what nation you're part of. It's still about what family you're part of. But you get a different option now. It doesn't matter if you're British, if you're Egyptian, or if you're an Israelite. It matters if you're part of the kingdom of God. And when you are, he's always protecting us. He's giving promises to us that he always fulfills. He makes us part of his family, adopts us to be a child of God, and blesses us as his children. So I guess the question is, whose side are you on? Which nation are you part of? Are you part of the nation of God? Are you part of the kingdom of God and a child of God? But Pharaoh is not an atheist. 
Pharaoh doesn't deny God's existence or his power. God's existence and power is on display. And it's displayed to us too, in various ways. This is what it says in Romans chapter 1. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen and been understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. As we look out on this world, as we actually see even our own human life, as we look around us, we see that God exists. He's made it obvious to us, and unless we choose to suppress it, most of us know that God is there. There's that feeling when you're on top of a mountain, when you look out to sea. There's that feeling sometimes late at night when you're thinking through your life and you realize there's something out there. We're actually able to see his power in the beauty of creation. Not only in the world around us, but then also in Jesus Christ himself. We see more of God's power, more of God's existence. If there was a moment to prove it, it says Jesus starts doing miracles, things un- impossible by human hands, feeding 5,000 people with two loaves and five loaves and two fish, turning water into wine, healing people with leprosy, healing people who are blind. Hang on, God's in this world now. This isn't possible by, by human hands. And then the greatest display of God's existence and God's power is when the Son of God not only dies, but is raised to life again three days later. Something that stands out to us and says, God is here. Are you an atheist? Do you, are you not sure whether God exists? Do you not believe he does? I think there's as many convincing reasons to believe in the existence of God. Actually, I think there's too many to deny he exists. I think it's obvious that God exists when you look around this world. But, believing God exists doesn't make you a Christian. Pharaoh believed God, God exists. Pharaoh's not an atheist. But he's still fighting God. And this is the problem. It's a real battle of the gods. And this is the second thing, is that it's because Pharaoh wants to be God. Pharaoh has an ego, a bit like um, me, but it's been built into him that he makes the rules, that no one can question him, that he's independent, he's in control. And so he's now in a face-to-face fight with the God of the universe. Pharaoh's ego has been trained to say no, and so he does. Refusal again and again, despite the growing severity of the plagues. No, I'm in charge. No one tells me what to do. See, following God is more than acknowledging his existence. But it's actually in view of his identity as the God of the universe, in view of his power, it's respecting him, honouring him as Lord and as God. It's submitting to his authority, seeking to please him and obey his commands. But for all sorts of reasons, we find that hard to do, don't we? 
although it sounds like all sorts of reasons, I think it's only one reason. And it's that we want to be God instead. At least God of our own lives. Our decisions, our choices, our rights. Why should I? I don't want to. I know better. No. I am God of my life, not you. If it makes me happy, if it seems right to me, it's my body, it's my rules, it's my decision. I am the most important being in my life. And so my pleasures, my desires, my reasons, my decisions are more important than any external source. Even the God of the universe. I think we're programmed in this culture especially to be self-centered. And so even knowing God exists, seeing his power, we still say no. I'm in charge. No one tells me what to do. Not even God. That's what Pharaoh is doing. Not all of us are that brave. And at times actually neither was Pharaoh. And so at times I think we're a little more subtle about retaining control rather than giving it over to God. See, at times, Pharaoh weakened from the defiant no. Look at verse, chapter 8, verse 25 with me quickly. It just says, 8 verse 25 says, Then Pharaoh summoned Moses. This is in the middle of the plague of flies. He can't take it anymore. And he says, He summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God here in the land. And further down in 28, it says, Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert. But you must not go very far. Now pray for me. Then later in chapter 10, and verses 8 to 10, it says, Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he said. But just who will be going? Moses answered, We will go with our young and old, with our sons and daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you if I let you go, along with your women and children. Clearly you are bent on evil. No, let only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you've been asking for. Then Pharaoh and Moses were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. He says, you may go worship your God under my terms and conditions. Pharaoh still exerting, still retaining his control and power over God's request. Not a blatant no, but just an arrogant, do my version of your request. I'm in control, God. Let's not get that confused. I'll let your people worship you, but remember who's boss. It will have to be done the way I say at the time I allow. See, when it's illustrated in a story like this, we look at Pharaoh and we think, Pharaoh's such a naughty boy. He deserved those plagues. Rebelling against God like that. And then we go home and do the same, don't we? We say, God, you need to fit into my schedule. I just want you to be part of my life on Sundays. And actually only the ones when there's nothing better to do. 
We say, I've heard what you say, God, and I, I take it on board, but I'm going to do it my way instead. Come on, you, your commands are only guidelines anyway, aren't they? We nod our head towards God. We tip our hat. We give him a few coins. But if he wants to take charge of our lives, who does he think he is? I need to put aside my ego and come humbly before God. Surrender all I am, all to him. And say, I've done a bad job of my life so far. God, please take it over. I trust that you'll do a better job than I have. And so from now on, I'll listen to your word. I'll trust your judgment. I'll obey your commands. I've tried being God of my life, and it's not worked. You be God. I'll just be me. Who wears the trousers in your relationship? Maybe that's an easier way to think of it. Is it you or is it God? What are you still holding on to that you won't give over to God? What part of your life are you still trying to retain control of? What terms and conditions have you given God? I think we just need to take a moment to surrender and to say, God, you are bigger and better than me. I realize, actually, I'm just a human with mistakes and weaknesses. And I'll let you be God from now on. I'll stop trying to do your job. I wish Pharaoh had realized that. And I wish I realized that every day. Rather than seeking to hold on. Pushing God just into certain sections of my life. And telling him to keep clear of the bit the other's parts. He asks us to surrender all we are, all to him. But my last point to take from the life of Pharaoh is that God is not a gym membership. Let me explain what I mean by that. Every January, gyms up and down the country are filled by people trying to get in shape. They, or their doctor, is not happy with their health. And so people shed out loads of money buying the right lycra that helps the job. And they subscribe to a 12-month gym membership, monthly payments going out, but then they're losing a little bit of weight. And they feel a little bit healthier, and soon they forget about the gym. But then 12 months comes around and they're back. New lycra. It'll make a difference this time. New gym. They can't show their face after the fuss they kicked up getting a refund. And so the cycle continues, doesn't it? An endless treadmill of health kicks. Meet Pharaoh. He's the pro at stopping and starting. Back in chapter 8 with me. Chapter 8, verse 28 to 32. And it says this, Pharaoh said, I will let you go and offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. And he says this, Now pray for me. 
Moses answered, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord. And tomorrow the flies will leave. Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only be sure that, the, that Pharaoh does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained. But this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Then jump. Chapter 9, verse 27. And it says, Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. And he says, This time I have sinned. He said to them, The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have, we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord. Then jump down just to verse 33. It says, when Moses left, Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands towards the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped, and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. And so Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the people go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. And then one more I want to read to you, because he does it again. This is chapter 10, verse 16. Where it says, Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more. And pray to the Lord your God to take away this deadly plague from me. Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord changed the wind to a very strong east wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left in Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the people go. Does it three times? Three times he says, yeah, okay. And then three times he changes his mind. And that's what hits me right between the eyes when I was reading this. When the going gets tough, and only when it's tough, Pharaoh apologizes. He admits his sin. He asks for forgiveness. And he promises to change. And then he goes back on his word as soon as life gets easier. And this is the bit that hit me. That what he does, we would describe as repentance. We might even describe it and say, he's made, said the sinner's prayer. He's made a commitment. He believes in God. But in Pharaoh we see a one-off commitment that never produced any fruit. Actually, Pharaoh does it three times, but still no change in his life. Just at the right time, when, he's, when life is feeling tough, he prays to God. Well, he asks Pharaoh to praise God on his behalf, apologizing for his sin, asking for forgiveness, 
and promising to make a change and does none of that and goes right back on his word and that's why I think God is not a gym membership he's not something he's not someone you can dip into in the tough moments or just when you've got time to fill actually following God impacts all of our life all the time we give him our lives not just the moments let him transform our life everything but here's the bizarre thing is that I don't think Pharaoh was being insincere at those moments it doesn't feel like he was faking it not to me anyway he was responding to the situation and asking God to help but in his heart he still wanted to be God God I need your help but just while you're useful to me fix the situation and then back off please because I'm still in charge and what I think it teaches us is that external words aren't the answer just saying a prayer that's written down doesn't sort everything see that same prayer can mean everything or nothing that same recognition of your wrong that same acknowledgement of God's greatness asking for forgiveness and promising to change our life can be the moment of salvation when we put our trust in God and put our lives in his hands or it can mean nothing it can just be a sequence of words when they're not also the expression of our heart in 1 Samuel it says this the Lord does not look at the things that people look at people look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart God knows what's going on in our hearts and not just the words that are coming out of our mouths and God wants us to give our lives over to him to recognise him as God and ask him to be God and stop trying to do his job and he sees that when it's in our heart he doesn't care if it's just coming out of our lips God sees something we can't but he does give us some distinguishing marks to look out for doesn't he the Bible teaches us that when we become a Christian the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us and it grows in us the fruits of the Spirit and it's by these fruits of the Spirit love, joy, peace and so on that we are known that people can tell our lives have been transformed and it wasn't just for a moment so I have to ask because God's put it on my heart is God your gym membership? do you just dip in and out of God when you feel the need and it was never Jesus' intention that we primarily find our Christian life just in a one hour service on a Sunday what God wants us to be what he invites us to be are citizens of the kingdom of God he invites us to be his children children of God 
When we put our trust in him, he adopts us to be his sons and daughters. And adoption is a one-way process that God can't, won't undo, doesn't undo. But it's a life-changing transition that can't be restricted to the moments of our life when we feel like it or just the areas we allow God into. It's all or nothing. Become part of the kingdom of God. Become a child of God. That affects all of our life. So in the battle of the gods, not Pharaoh versus God, but us versus God, our ego versus God, the only truth that's possible is our surrender to him as Lord of our lives. But the good thing is that it's a great surrender. Surrender has such a negative connotation at times. But it's a brilliant surrender. Because it's to the God who loves you. It's to the God who forgives you with incredible mercy and grace. And doesn't now treat you as a prisoner of war, but as his own child. And gives you all the blessings that he'd give to any of his own children. That's our option. Try and live our own life. Try and retain control and restrict God. Or to say God, to God, I can't do it anymore. I'm going to stop trying to do it anymore. And I'm going to ask you to completely take over. Lead me, teach me, guide me. Just look at how much he cares for the Israelites. How much effort he's putting into to rescue them. To bring them to the promised land that he's offered them. Look what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's how much he loves us. This is not a painful surrender. This is just being realistic about our own strength and our own weaknesses. And actually being realistic that God can make all the difference to us. Let's spend a moment in prayer before we sing again that song, Lord, you have my heart. Lord God, we realize that we've done a bad job of our lives so far. And so we ask that you would take them over. We put our trust in you to do a better job than we've been doing so far. And we're going to listen to your word. We're going to trust you. Trust your wisdom. Trust your judgment. Trust your timing. We're going to obey your commands. Because we've tried being God. And at times we've even tried fighting you. Tried rejecting you. Tried giving you our list of terms and conditions. And now God we say, we surrender it all. All we are, all to you. God, you are bigger and better than us. 
And so we're going to try and stop pretending that we know better. And instead we're going to give our lives to follow you. All of our life. Let you into everything and ask you to adopt us as your children. And we just look forward to that. We look forward to all the blessings, all the enjoyment, all the encouragement from being a child of God. Because we know how much you love us. We know how great you are and how you're preparing this incredible place in heaven for us. When we put our trust in you and you adopt us as your son or daughter. Oh Lord, help us to surrender today anything that we're clinging on to. That we would stop trying to wear the trousers in this relationship. And we'd let you be God and we'd just be ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.